Father, we thank you for worship and for just the words and the the ability we have to raise our voices to you today. Jesus, we do believe that you are better. You're better than all riches. You're better than all things. And Lord, we recognize there's times where we run and we turn to other things to have life. Lord, we turn to you this morning and we turn toward your word and we pray that your word would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us and your ways to us in greater and greater ways that we might worship you with all of our life. So Lord, use me, anoint me for this task this morning. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's great. Well, hey, Brian, thanks. Uh, you didn't think I was going to talk to you, did you? Uh, it's like we, got like we got like worship like Billy Joel here today. It's, I like it. I like it, Brian. And I like that thing on the guitar. It was like that, wow, that was nice, yeah. So anyway, that was our little conversation. So um, <clears throat> a couple things before we get started this morning. Um, <clears throat> one, Dan already mentioned this, but I just wanted to say it. Um, <clears throat> next few weeks, next three weeks, there's a lot of things happening. In a week from um, now, this stage will all be, next Sunday when you come in, it'll all be decorated I don't, uh, outer space, I believe, uh, and so I'll, we'll be doing that, we'll be preaching from that um, on Sunday morning, and so it'll be all ready for Summer Blast. How many of you have, like, been a part of Summer Blast? Anybody? I mean, just raise your hand. There we go. There's my partner, Olivia. Who else? Yeah, so um, we've, I've done it for the last two years, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing that happens here, um, and then summer camp is coming up for high school, um, junior high and high schoolers. And I just, I just want to say that in the world of our children and your children and grandchildren and just the student in general, there is a lot of pressing in on them, right? A lot of pressing in on them in life. And I, I really think, and I know it was true for me, that there were these weeks where I got away and I got pressed into in a better way. I got pressed into at camp. I got pressed into it at a VBS or a summer blast, and I believe, I've been, I'm going to go to camp with the students, so I'll be there um, in Dayton, um, and I'll be here at summer blast, and I, I'll tell you this, there, there's something really powerful about those weeks where you get surrounded by other believers, and you get to be pressed into and make critical decisions for your future, and I know for the students going to camp, it may not, maybe, maybe your, your son or daughter has, you know, come to know Christ. I think there's, there's other decisions we make in life, and the Lord speaks into those. I've seen God, you know, call students to specific things to do in future, in college, to be missionaries, to do all kinds of great things for the Lord. Um, and I know at Summer Blast, too, there, we, we really press in the word of God and the gospel to, to children and students. So I would just encourage you, this is my little plug, I would encourage you to consider if, if you're not going to send your children or your students to camp, to consider doing it. Because there's, out of all the 52 weeks out of the year, there's a lot of pressure coming at our kids. But it's a good thing to let a pressure for a whole week be that just of the Lord. And just so you know, adults, uh, kids aren't the only ones who need it. We do too. We have a lot of pressures coming in in our life. And it's good to have respites and it's good to have places where we're pressed into. And I really believe that, that our student ministry and children's ministry do an incredible job of providing that for your kids. And so I hope, I hope you can. I understand that not everybody can, but I hope, I hope you can be a part of that this year. So 
Moving on, um, if you would, turn with me to Mark 11, 27 through 12, 12. Mark 11, 27 through 12, 12. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, if you remember last week where we found ourselves, this is the Holy Week, and so Jesus is moving toward the cross. Today we're going to be really three days before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so and where, where we find ourselves in the text this morning is this place where Jesus is going to now be confronted again by the elders, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and he's going to be pressed into by them, and he, there's going to be a, a struggle with a few things. So before we get into it, um, I, I don't know, raise your hand if this is true for you. Have, has anyone in this room ever struggled with authorities in their life? Anybody, right? Raise your hand for the person next to you, right? Like, so um, if you've ever struggled with authorities in your life, okay, okay. Um, uh, have you ever, anyone in this room ever struggled with rebelliousness? Anyone? Anyone? Dan, that was really high. And so, uh, <laughs> so rebelliousness, what, anyone in this room ever struggled with, with selfishness by chance? Okay. All right, there we go. So, so in this text, what Jesus is going to press into in the scribes of Pharisees and the teachers of law is in their authority issues. And they were they weren't something to laugh at. They were pretty serious. And he's going to deal with them in a serious way. This is in a section of, of if you put all the parables together and categorize them, this would be a judgment parable we find ourselves in today. And so Jesus is going to deal with their authority issues. He's going to deal with their rebelliousness against him. And he's going to deal with really kind of the embedded underneath of it all, their, their incredible, selfish nature coming to full life in all that they're doing. So clarity in this text, just as before we get into it, just so you know, for us even, there's going to be some things maybe you, you, you don't see it initially in the text that we'll try to pull out of it. But for them, just so you know, it was very clear what Jesus was saying to them. Um, or another way, it was crystal clear what Jesus was saying to them. And we know that because at the end of the text, they were afraid and they didn't want to do it. And what we see kind of multiple times and two times in this text is they understood what Jesus was saying and they rebelled and refused against it. The other thing that we kind of want to do on the front end is just say, what, what does God desire from you, for, from you and me? Um, I believe what he wants from every person is um, where we, we could use this fidelity faithfulness. He wants all of us and all of him trusting him, living for him, and being guided by him. And what we'll find in this is these men have chosen anything but to be, to, to be faithful to him and have rebelled and, and gone against him. And, and kind of on the front end, the issue in this text is not a God issue. This is a man issue. And most issues, so we're clear, are not God the issue is us. And what we can do often is we can point out why did God do this and why did God do that. I think what we'll see in the text is God has done a lot for us. And we are the ones who have not honored him as we should. God is on the side where he has abundantly worked toward us. And we are on the side where we, have, we, have, we could never achieve what he has required of us. So let's read together, Mark 11, 27, and then we'll read down to 12, 12. So, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him. 
Now, remember what had happened right before this. Jesus was overturning tables, right? He had come in, he'd cleansed the temple, and he'd kind of called them out. They'd made it kind of, he called it a den of robbers. They were profiting off of the temple of God. They'd made it a shortcut through town. They were desecrating with a holy thing that God had created and established. And so in this moment, Jesus comes back in the temple, and they said to him, Verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do them? Speaking of what he has just done and his ministry, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another. Now, what's happening here is Jesus is kind of giving, it was typical for Jesus to ask questions, but he gives a question contingent, like he says, I'll answer it if you answer it this way. And so he kind of qualified his question. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John, and this is John the Baptist, really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he moves into a parable in which he speaks to them. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it, dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent, them, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and, they, another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the, give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. In this passage, we are going to see kind of four main things as we look at it. The first thing that we see in the text is that there is a greater authority, a greater authority. And if so, if you're following with me in your notes, you can find it on your back. I think it's on the screens. There's a greater authority in our lives. So they ask a question to Jesus, but by what authority are you doing these things? See, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they thought that they were the authorities. They were the ones who were in charge. They were the ones who interpreted the law. And so what was Jesus doing, coming in and trying to come against them and come against the systems that they had created? So then the question was, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? 
And then they thought to themselves, from heaven? Well, then they would ask why we didn't believe in John the Baptist, why we didn't believe in this. And then they said, if it were from man, they would be afraid of the people because they would be going against John the Baptist, and all the people thought that he was a prophet of God. So the answer was, we do not know. So then Jesus responds, neither will I tell you why I do these things. Now, I kind of find it funny a little bit at the end of this. It's like parenting. You ask a question, and you're waiting for the right response back. They don't give it, and they're like, well, you got to figure it out, right? This is kind of this moment for Jesus. you gotta, you got to figure it out on your own. See, Jesus, what, what is happening in this text is he's, he's dealing with their authority issues, but really he's dealing with something much deeper. He's dealing with a divinity issue. Because what Jesus is saying is, I am God. And he said this through his whole ministry. And this is where they wanted to get Jesus. This is where they wanted to arrest him. So Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. Jesus will say in this text, as he deals with this, he's, he doesn't come outright and say it, but he's, he's kind of baiting them that he is divinity. He is the Holy One of God. He is different. He is distinct. He is one of a kind. He is unlike any. Now, this is a major point of contention for many. See, many will say they believe in Jesus. They believe in these things about Jesus. They believe he is a prophet. They believe he's a good man and all these things. But really where rubber meets the road for each of us is, was Jesus God? We have to wrestle with this in our own heart and our own lives is, do I believe that Jesus was God? The creator of all things stepped down lowly into this world to die a sacrificial death on the cross as the perfect lamb for us. Jesus stepping down, and then if he is divinity, he has authority. And they doubted his divinity, therefore they doubted his authority. See, Jesus was not only a prophet of God, he was God. And, the, and on the authority of God, he acted. See, Jesus is the greater authority. Now, I don't know, you raised your hand earlier, so I'm guessing you're like me. I've had times in my life where I struggle a little bit with authority. Because even when you say that word, it takes me back to a place when I was in middle school, right? And there was this guy named Mr. Ellis, my middle school math teacher. And I had a tendency, this might surprise you, I had a tendency to talk to other people in the room because I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. That's why I'm a preacher, I think. And so, um, so if you ever sat by me in service, I just like talk to my neighbor. So I'm cool if you do that because I get it, right? And so... So I'm, I'm sitting, and this is like the old desk, right? They have the big hinges, they pop up. Mine was just like packed full of like garbage. Like at the end of the year, you're finding like the lunch from the first day of the year, kind of huge, big open desk. They had the hinges on it that like would chop your finger off. That, like they were very dangerous. And, and so I was turned around, a little swivel chair. I was turned around, and I was talking to the person behind me. And I'm pretty sure Mr. Ellis could have been a punter, like, like Division One. Because he ran up and he kicked my desk. And I legitimately, I think I wet my pants. Like I was so, like he scared me so bad. And so when we think of authority, sometimes we think of like Mr. Ellis, like you had a Mr. Ellis maybe, like kick your chair. And, and so we, we, we have this baggage with authorities because we typically have had some people that have had authorities over our life that we kind of let define authority around our lives. And sometimes, because we let that define authority in our lives, we impose upon God 
how authorities have treated us in our life. And so one of the reasons we may rebel against the authority of God is because of what we are imposing upon God on silly things like Mr. Ellis to serious things like a father or a mother or a boss or people who have deeply wounded us and hurt us in authority places in our life. See, in this text, what is happening is these, these Pharisees and these uh, <clears throat> scribes and teachers of the law, they're, they're going against the authority of God. But the reality is, and what Jesus will reveal, is there is a greater authority. There is a greater authority, and Jesus deserves a place of authority over our lives. He deserves a place of authority over our families. He deserves a place of authority over our church. I've said this before, but, that on, when we do like an org chart here at this building, you have elders and pastors and all these things we write up, I always like try to write Jesus at the top of the board, and you may say, well, that's kind of, we all know that. No, I don't think we all know that. We need to always remember that Jesus is the head of the church, and he reigns and resides authority over his body because it is his. We are his. He is the chief shepherd over us. There is a place of authority means that we then... And then when he becomes an authority over our lives, it means that we then live different because we are under his authority. So an example of this, of authorities, might be, I don't know if this was true for you, but some of you are still at home with mom and dad, and many have left home with mom and dad. Many left home a long, long, long time ago from mom and dad. But there's this thing that is kind of typical that happens, right? We are underneath mom and dad's authority, and then we leave mom and dad's authority. And then we tend, typically, to make some really bad decisions because we think that mom and dad's authority was really dumb and we have a better way and a path for our life and so we're going to reject their rules because we think that we can stay up till two, a mor- 2 in the morning and live very efficient lives waking up at 7. And the reality is, is that's impossible. I've been trying it for the last two weeks and it's very hard, right? Like, <laughs> if you don't know, we just had a baby. So, like... So, so we think that there's, and so we move out from underneath an authority. We think that we can be our own authority. And the reality is this authority is really good for us. Authorities over our life are really good. And I, sadly, I don't think that many of us think about this kind of authority issue over our lives. And what coming under the authority of Jesus is, is simply saying that I'm coming underneath your authority, not force like I was when I was an 18, 17, 16 year old. This is a willful submission that I believe your ways are better than mine. I believe that you know better than I know. I believe that your way is perfect and true, and I willfully submit my life underneath your authority. Would you lead me and guide me in your ways? See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they wanted nothing to do with the greater authority because they were the authority, and they rejected the divinity of Jesus. The second thing we see as we kind of enter in now to the parable is we see a greater care. A God, we have a clarity of Christ is showing here that there's a greater care for us than we know. So the parable it enters into it like this in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. It says, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So in verse one, we see this greater care. Maybe at first glance, we don't see this, but a, a man, 
planted a vineyard. Now this man is going to be God, right? He is the picture and image of God in the parable. Man planted a vineyard. Now the vineyard was a national symbol for Israel, so the vineyard represents Israel. Coins and temples all around, grape leaves and vines kind of scattered across the nation of Israel still to this day. And over this, what was happening was that a man planted a vineyard, and what he did then is he put a fence around it. And he put a fence around it because he wanted to make sure that wild animals and things that would come and destroy the crops and would hurt the people were kept and protected away from it. He put borders around it. He put protection around it. And then he dug a pit for the wine press. Now, this wasn't some, like, hole in the ground. This was, this was a pit that was two. It was carved out of... Uh, it was carved out of solid rock, and it had two vats, an upper vat and a lower vat. One, the, the grapes would be crushed. The second, they would flow into. This was a, a significant task and a diligent task to build something like this to care for the land. And not only did he dig a pit, but he built a tower. And the tower was shelter, storage, and a vantage point. See, this was the nation of Israel. And under God's leadership, Abraham had left Ur and would become the father of a chosen people. That would become a ble- then that would become a blessing to the world. Moses came to deliver the people of Israel from captivity to lead them to the promised land, and Joshua would lead them into Canaan, and God had great expectation of them. And so we see a care of the Father here and how he's manicured and cared and provided something good and wonderful for the people of Israel. Or in the parable, and just purely, for the ones who would come and rent the land, the tenants. Then he issued, then he leased it to tenants. They were entrusted with much. Yep, right, so that he, he, he leased it to the tenants, so now it's theirs to manicure and take care of. Again, this is the people of Israel. They were the tenants. This wasn't theirs. It had been given to them. They were entrusted with much, yet the people of Israel disregarded their responsibility to be a beacon of light to the world. Then he went away on a journey, so then he left them with a trust He goes, this is yours now. Manage it and go about it the best way that you can. So then what we see kind of in this, this greater care is Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. There's a trust that has been given. There's a trust that has been given to the people of Israel. There was a trust that has been given to those who had been leased to. There's a trust that has been given to us. There's been something entrusted to us. Even this morning, there's truth being entrusted to us as we read God's word. And we are being asked that with what we've been entrusted, what will you do with it? See, God has a greater care because he hasn't left us alone and he has provided much around our lives in order to take care of that which he has given us. So the third that we see in the text is a greater peril. And this is kind of the largest section of it, a greater peril. This is verses two through nine. Kind of the big picture of it is this. When the seasons came, so it's harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants. This was a common thing that was about, um, so so he sent a servant to the tenants. Now this was common for um, how they're going to respond. It was actually a common thing to do that to a tenant. So so they'd been leased the land and they were going to care for it and then they were supposed to give a half to a third, somewhere in there, back to the landowner. Now, in the time in Israel, this was a common thing where they wouldn't give back what they were due, and there became legal disputes over it. And so this was something they were aware of that, it ha- that happened often. And so 
so what happens then is he, he, um, he sent someone back, right, to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. And their response was they beat him because they wanted their own. And then they sent, he sent many others. And he struck them, beat them, killed them, and treated them shamefully. Now, when they heard this, they heard what the parable was saying. See, God had sent prophets time over time over time over time and again to the people of Israel, saying, repent and turn to your God and worship him. Repent and turn to your God and worship him. Repent and turn to your God and be faithful to his word. Repent and turn to God and be faithful to him. But what happened to the people of Israel time and time again is they rejected See, Elijah, they cast away into the wilderness. Isaiah, they cut him in two. Zechariah was stoned to death. John the Baptist was beheaded. In Hebrews 11, 37 through 38, it says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destituted, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy. These were wonderful men. Wandering about the deserts and the mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And he sent his very own beloved son. Jesus then responds. He'd sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And now the parable moves into, this is really a historical parable of the people of Israel. And now he's going to send his very own son So he sent his very own beloved son to the people. And as they send his own beloved son, and just so you know, in three days, in actuality, Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. And the father says, they will respect him. But see, their selfishness is going to be shown here. They say, this is the heir. Kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. A look into the heart of the leaders, a look into the heart of those that were the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Look into their hearts, and just so you know, what they knew was they had said multiple times, it's already recorded in the scriptures, that they wanted to kill Jesus. The men that were standing there in front of him that he was speaking this to wanted to kill him, and he exposed their hearts in real time in front of them in this parable that he knew that you want, and what he was saying is, I know you want to kill me. I get it. And this parable is kind of illustrating that he understands what's happening. So, <clears throat> so this is the heir, kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they did so. And they threw him out of the vineyard, and they disregarded Jesus altogether. The son. And the owner, the all-powerful owner, says, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. I don't know if you've had these moments in life where there was like imminent peril coming your way. What this parable is saying is there's imminent peril coming to those who do not believe. There's a greater peril than we could imagine coming to those who do not believe. Now, a few years ago, not a few years ago, way back, my, one of my first jobs, I was 17 years old, I got a job working high, I, I worked for a painting company doing high structure steel. I've maybe told, said some of this before if you've heard it. And so I was, I was doing high structure steel, so I painted it and sandblasted it. And so what that looked like is there was a leg 
that would carry grain up high, and so it's like 100, 150 feet, and there were spouts that came off of this leg that would take grain into bins, right? And I grew up in rural Iowa. There's a lot of these. And so we would climb up to the top. We would tie ropes on. We'd rappel off with, with the sandblasting equipment or the painting equipment and do it. Now, the guy I worked for was 34 years old, and Todd uh, was basically a 17-year-old in a 34-year-old's body. And so what Todd would like to do is kind of play games like he thought 17-year-olds would do. And so I would go to climb up the ladder, and he would punch me as hard as he could in the leg. And then I would have to climb up like another 100 feet up a ladder, like, like one leg at a time, right? Like I couldn't use it. And he thought it was funny to punch me and do these things. He'd punch me in the shoulder. And <clears throat> I really didn't like it. My brother Craig... Um, he was working with me, and we were driving to work one day, and he's like, dude, you've got to stop this. Like, you've got you to gotta do something back to him so he knows that he can't mess with you. So not realizing that my brother Craig sometimes told me to do things that would get me in trouble, um, I kind of, like, had forgotten that whole thing, and I'm like, okay, today's the day. And so we were on kind of a break, and we we're all standing down, and he said, hey, let's, Todd says to me, let's play Mercy. And if you know Mercy, you lock fingers and you make someone go to their knees. Anybody know this game? Have you ever played it? Okay. <clears throat> so you lock fingers, do that. And Todd was huge. I mean, he's like, he had, he'd done this forever. I mean, he, he had, he, yeah, he was ripped. And so <clears throat> we go to do this Mercy game and he goes to stretch up like this. And I thought, this is my chance. <laughs> and I like went back and I punched him as hard as I could right in the middle of the chest Todd falls down to his knees. I look over at my brother Craig, and he was like, dude, you shouldn't have done that. That was not what I was talking about. And Todd's like down on his knees. He's like, I can't breathe. But in the second I knew, and it starts to hit me, he's going to get up. <laughs> like, this is not going to be good. And so, like, I kind of, like, run away from him. And about five, ten minutes later, he gets up, and he starts chasing me around. And we're running around, and then I finally just stopped because I'm like, I'm going to get beat up by him, so let's just do this. He never punched me in the face, but I think I was pretty well beat up everywhere else. And so, so <clears throat> don't do this at home. And so, um, so there's this moment, but the, the, the five to ten minutes when he was, like, coming, right? Like, I knew that he was going to get me back for what I had done. I knew there was imminent peril coming to my life. And I don't know if you remember or think about it, these moments in life where there's imminent peril coming your way. You know something bad is about to happen to you. That's kind of silly and funny what I said. But there was a real sense like I'm in big trouble with what's about to go down with me and Todd. And see, I think in this text, there's this, there's this, this peril that is coming. If, if you refuse and reject and rebel from the and recognizing, honoring, and living for the owner... There is a waiting peril to come to our lives. Now, church, I, I, I think sometimes we disregard these things. But I just want to say there is a peril that if you are not in Christ Jesus that is coming your way. There, there is something so eternal that is coming after we pass through this life and the decisions we make whether to follow or to rebel against Jesus, will ultimately make a decision of whether we will have eternal judgment or eternal life in Jesus Christ. See, this is a judgment parable. 
And what Jesus is speaking over them is judgment. Now, you'd read this story and you go, absolutely. He has every right to condemn them. The father, the landowner has every right. He's killed how many of the people? And the, 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 the servants, and the, the, not the servants, the, the tenants, they've killed how many of the people God has sent? And then they, they killed his son. He has every right to go and get vengeance, to go and make things right. I mean, are you with me? I mean, just the story, the parable, plain and simple, he has every right. Uh, here, I'm here to tell you simply this. You may, you may cast away judgment like God has no right to do that to us. Every one of us in this room deserves death and judgment because of our sins against God. Every one of us deserves death and judgment for what we've done against our holy God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us have been faithful. None of us have been perfect. And because of that, we deserve judgment. And there is a peril coming in judgment. And this text speaks of it. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. Now, that give the vineyards to others, what he's speaking of is that this is going to now move to the Gentiles, to a different people, to all peoples, as God has said from the beginning till today, that he is making this for all peoples. And so, and the 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of Lord, we, we persuade men. See, this gospel message, it is critical and it is crucial because there is a peril that is coming for those who do not believe. Scriptures say that we should weep and we should cry and we should be patient, we should be loving, and we should be pursuing of those that an imminent, is peril, an imminent peril is coming to them because they do not know Jesus Christ. Well, see, in the text, not only do we see that there's a greater peril, but there's a greater triumph. In verses 10 through 12, it reads, Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is speaking again of Jesus, and this was from Psalm 118, 22 through 23. The stone that the builders rejected, Jesus was, was the one that they would reject, and he is going to be the cornerstone of the faith. But what it says is they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told a parable against them. See, they had great clarity. They knew what Jesus was saying, and they knew that Jesus was speaking about them. They knew that they were the ones who were the tenants. They knew that they were the ones that he had said that peril, that judgment is coming their way. They perceived that he had told a parable against them, so they left and went his way. So the owner, again, is the Father God. The tenants are the people of Israel. The servants are the prophets of God. And the Son is Jesus Christ. They knew this. Jesus was clear, and their response was fear, and they went away because they were afraid of others. The question for us today is, what will we do? Will we reject the Son and his coming? Because he has come. Jesus came and he died on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. He went into the grave. He rose from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is the prophet of prophets. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He does rule on high and he is available to each and every person that sits here in this room. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is we, will we reject him because we will not bow down to his authority? Will we Reject him because we simply are going to rebel against anything that imposes anything upon our life. The question is, is will we humbly submit ourselves underneath his great care and authority in our lives? Do you see clearly as they saw 
what Jesus was saying. Do you see that there is a greater authority over our lives? It's a wonderful authority that we can submit our lives under and live at peace increasingly. That there is a greater care that God has for us than, that, than we will even have for our very own selves. And that there is a greater peril without Christ than we could ever imagine. Yet there is a greater triumph for those who are in Christ than we could ever dream. See, Jesus did come. He did die. He has been rejected. And will you stand for him or do you stand against him? There is victory. There is triumph in Jesus. Without Jesus, there will be a day of reckoning where peril will come eternally. See, Jesus, he did come. See, the beginning of the story isn't Jesus coming. The beginning of the story is simply this. At the very beginning of time, God created you and me and all peoples to walk in his intended ways. But we have rebelled against him. We have rejected his authority. And we have gone and lived our own way. It says in scripture that is sin. It says in scripture that the wages of sin is death. It also says in scripture, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, he sent his one and only son into this world to die the death we deserved. And his blood was poured out to cover our sin. See, Jesus came to redeem us, not just to redeem us, but also to restore us back into the intended ways of God, to live in his ways, to walk in his ways, to honor him, to come under his authority, to stop our rebellion, and to live at peace with him. What I say to you today, as we've read through this text, maybe, Christian, in the room, maybe there's something in you that you feel. There's a push against the authority of God, a rebellion that still clings in your heart, a selfishness that's in you. Just so you know, there's not a person in this room, just as we illustrated at the beginning, there's not a bit of that in. There's, there's, there, there's, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have some of that there. We still have our flesh that entangles us in this world. So Christian today, one of the greatest gifts God has given us is a thing called repentance. Repentance is this thing where we can say to God, God, I know, I see it in myself. And we can call out to him and we can say things like, help me, renew me, restore me, guide me, lead me. And this is the very thing he does I ask you today, if God moved in your heart in that way, as we sing this next song, as we pray, might you respond in that way to God? And for the person who's never trusted in him, I'll tell you this today, that you can, be, you can be rescued from the peril that is ahead of you. If you will today repent of your sins, say, God, I recognize that I have sinned against you, and say, today I turn in faith, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I entrust my life. I believe in you, and I'm going to live for you. Simply, if you say that, cry out to him, say, save me, he will do that today. But might we respond well to God's word, to his truth today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, and we pray that you would help us not to rebel against your authority, Lord, that you would, you would help us to, to recognize the great care you've had for us. 
that your protection surrounds us, that your provision is there for us. Help us to recognize that you've entrusted us with much. And Lord, we, we ask that you'd help us to be faithful with that. And Lord, we recognize today that there is triumph in you, Jesus. So the, for, per, for the person who has believed, Lord, would you help them to respond well to you today and whatever you said to them. The person who has not believed, Jesus, I pray today that you would help them to repent, to turn, and to place their faith in you and to cry out for salvation. Lord, help us to respond well to your word. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing. The altars are open for you to come and pray. We're gonna sing a song that we sang at the beginning. Might we sing this? the genuineness of our desire for, the, for God that we might consecrate all of our life to him.